Hi there and welcome to Scale, a podcast for modern media. I am your host Stuart Ritchie, the founder and lead developer at Powered by Coffee. Powered by Coffee is a web and software development team focusing on technology issues facing the media today. Scale is a podcast about how technology impacts the media and how the media impacts technology in return. Everything from ad tech and privacy to hosting and content management. We're interested in what's happening today, what's happening tomorrow and where we might end up in the future. Today with our episode, we have um, Thomas Barlow with the Independent Media Association, the IMA. And you, know, I don't know a huge amount about the IMA, so I'm going to hand straight over to Thomas. And Thomas, tell us about yourself, how you got involved with the Independent Media Association, and what is the IMA? Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, so the IMA, I mean, and we are going to refer to it as the IMA because it's a mouthful. mouthful. It's a mouthful. And I mean, and to be extraordinarily boring, it does what it says on a tin. It is an association of independent media organisations. So collectively, there's around about 70 member independent media organisations. We're going to be 100 member organisations within three months, and we'll probably be at about 150 by the end of 2023. And our current collective reach is around about eight and a half million people that's about the the reach in the independent media members of the association but we estimate that independent media reaches far more than that probably closer to 20 million people in the uk and these are all uk-based organizations so you know it, it, it's it, what we realized so our, my background is about 2013 i got involved i wanted to become a journalist i started writing for an independent media organization because there wasn't much going on elsewhere and then founded my own organization in 2015 and by 2017 i realized what i was doing because i'd run companies in the past and i'd done like a lot of business type stuff but again it was in the music industry it was always stuff that i thought was creative but someone has to do the accounts like sure so, someone has to like work out employment policy and organize meetings and have agendas and make sure there's outcomes and that we stay on track and all of that kind of stuff and so i'd been doing that obviously i'd done it i started off as a journalist starting to do that background founded my own thing realized i'm not doing journalism any longer i don't make any content only organized stuff why we're we doing it for one organization that doesn't really make any money and can't pay me really to be an operations manager for one, why don't I raise money for the whole, for all the independent media organizations I've now met because I've now put on conferences and things like that. And so about 30 organizations got together and we founded something in 2017 called the Media Fund. It was there to just raise money for independent media. We thought, well, if we all do it together, maybe we'll have a better shot at making a bit more cash. And we ran that for about two, two and a half years. And in 2019, late 2019, someone said, well, look, we've got more problems than just raising money. I mean, it's a, a number one problem, but actually there's a lot of other things that we can do and we're all together. Why don't we have an association to deal with those those problems, those issues and support each other and stuff like that? Especially as anyone who works in independent media knows you can often end up by yourself, working by yourself. And so that's what the Independent Media Association does. We, we, we're working on helping raising money, but actually that's taken a backseat to training workshops and resources advice feeding part of the community we just have a big active whatsapp group and we've now created a community whatsapp community which is a group of groups where 
There's ones that are just for chat. There's ones to talk about the National Union journalists or regulation or campaigns or what else do we cover? We cover collaborative projects where we get members together to work on stuff. So we have a series of working groups and largely led by members. We have a, a board of about 14 people, all from different independent media organizations. And we have two part-time workers, part-time staff, and I'm, I'm one of them. Great. I think my initial jumping off point from there is how, how, are we, how are you defining independent media as opposed to non-independent? What is, what is that distinction? What is the qualifier for you know, getting to the association? Yeah. So, and just me, it took a long time to work on that one. Like, you know, there was, the, the, and even choosing the term independent media was fraught. You know, like there was this sense that like, oh, maybe we should be radical media. Oh, there's people who like, you know, back then in 2015 or whatever, Russia Today was doing quite a lot of, for instance, anti-authoritarian kind of coverage or Red Fish, you know, which is backed by Telesit. Both of them are state-backed organizations. So we fell upon the the definition. And again, the definition had been come up with in the US. It didn't cover state-backed organizations because they don't really have state media. Yes, yeah, right? So we said independent media is any organization that's not majority funded by either the state or a multinational corporation. Like, and we use multinational corporation because local independent media often will work with local businesses. And so we defined a multinational corporation. It's sort of legally instituted. If more than 50% of your earnings come from there. For instance, Canary, who uh, controversial characters to some, didn't get to join the media fund or the IMA for about two years because the majority of that funding came from advertising, from Google ads. And I'm sure that, which is a global corporation that promotes global multinational corporation. And that advertising was decided by the membership and the board to, to make it not an independent, you know, because the way that we define independent media is essentially not beholden to vested interests, not beholden to the vested interests of the powerful. So you don't want to be beholden to the state or to a nation state and acting in their interests. And you don't want to be acting in the interests of the powerful global corporations. You know, we need to be able to question those organizations if we're to tell the truth and tell stories about the world that are actually important and useful to people. That's, you know, really the job of journalism and media generally is to tell stories that are actually universally useful, not just useful for the interests of a powerful elite. That's interesting. I didn't realize it'd be so... That, that example about Canary with the advertising, I haven't heard that before because I think that's like a really interesting question. A lot of the topics on this podcast come back to media orgs are very beholden to Google for everything. They're a huge source of like income. They're a huge source of traffic that they use to drive other income. So that's a really interesting, interesting take. But your, your point is exactly right. You are. Can you go out of your way to annoy and tell the truth and you report honestly about something that is such a huge part of your your income mix that's really interesting yeah well, yeah and i mean look it's not there's not always an explicit bias where you're you're like always obviously working for your paymaster i mean there's obviously this is a very famous interview between non chomsky and andrew ma right back in the 90s and he's sitting there and andrew ma says i don't sense myself like, I don't need to censor myself. I work for the BBC, but I don't, I don't do that. And he says, 
Of course you don't. Like <laughs> you don't need to. You wouldn't have got the job if you had to censor like censor yourself. Yeah. Would that you wouldn't have got the job if you had to be told how to act in the interests of the British faith, right? Because yeah, and and because they would they just wouldn't hire you. Similarly, corporate advertisers are not going to reward organizations or promote organizations that like cause problems to corporate but you yeah. know, corporations. They're just not going to. You're going to get cut off. You're going to get as we see, you know, when we're talking about free speech, a lot of it is weirdly directed around cultural issues. Very little protection from those people who talk about free speech is afforded for independent media organizations that are regularly deplatformed by the multinational corporations such as Twitter, such as Facebook, such as Google. You know, you can outrightly ban them or you can quash their reach. And we have, for instance, very specific example from the five years from 2015 to 2020. It's quite interesting organizations like the Canary, but also, for instance, an organization like Milk the Cow podcast, which is a Newcastle-based podcast, huge, got huge, and then very big Facebook page. And they were sent a notification a day before the 2019 election. And to be clear, they're not Labour supporting, but they were seen as sort of win. And we've heard this from several other organizations who sent a notification saying, your reach, you are not going to be able to reach, your, your reach on Facebook is ended until the day after the election. And they're just notified of that, no explanation why, you know, that's it, bang. So you can, and, and that was explicit. In many cases, your reach will just be squashed without you knowing why. Like yeah. you, the out, you will like, and you'll be like, oh, is the algorithm changing? Do I have to do more short video? Do I need to start putting images in? Like everyone's trying to figure out the algorithm, but often, and we know this from releases, the algorithm specifically targeted against independent media organizations that cause problems for powerful elite. So, you know, these are things that we actually need to band together to work on and, and, and have these conversations and say, hey, Google, Twitter, Facebook, you know, TikTok, maybe like yeah. we actually represent a really large proportion of the population and we either need, you know, statutory and regulatory protections from governments or and or we need to cause commercial problems for these organizations. Absolutely. Now, I imagine that's increasingly visible as a problem. You know, like it's, it's very easy to look at it for me to look at an organization and go like, oh yeah, that algorithmic change is going to, going to mess with them. But with everything kind of going on at Twitter at the moment, say, going to cause a lot of problems for journalists that have spent a lot of time developing personal brands and personal followings where they don't have, you know, their own place that they own their data to generate, to own that following kind of the same thing people getting suppressed or just you bullied off off the platform for their their be harassed off the platform, I should say, for their for their views. It's quite an interesting. Yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, moderating people's activities, individuals or groups in activities on social media to chastise particular publishers, journalists, opinion uh, commentators is an arena that isn't really for regulators or governments in my opinion because that's the interaction of people with people when global corporations who have essentially a monopoly on people's access to information about the world decide who cannot be heard that is a question for legislation for regulation it's 
do we break these monopolies up? And obviously what's happening with Twitter now is almost comical in some respects. I'm sure we've all had a good laugh. But to give you a comparative example, I'll talk from my own organization, right? Mm-hmm. 2017, during the 2017 election, news is popular, by the way, during elections. It's one of the few times it's worth paying attention to news. The rest of the time you feel like, what's the point? Like I can't do anything about it, right? But people pay attention during the election. We had a reach of around about 3 million. We had one video that went one and a half million. We were a very small organization, very small, like three people doing it in our spare time on pay, right? We had, you know, several million plus videos and they were on Facebook. And we were like, we can build an income on the basis of this. Other organizations had from their reach through Facebook. By 2019, so two years later, there is no reach for any independent media organization on Facebook. And of course, within about two years after that, Facebook as a platform is basically dead, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's collapsed. But prior to that, it was an active choice by the people who own Facebook to specifically withdraw the capability of reaching your own audience, <laughs> reaching the people who are actually interested in your content. They, they couldn't see if they tried, you know? So that occurred. Now, within journalism, Twitter has been the main way for people for journalists to build their profiles and build the capacity of independent income streams, often based around audiences supporting them through donations, right? There's countless examples of this. If Twitter goes as a platform where you can do that because it either collapses because of mismanagement or because the new management, it specifically Elon Musk, is very antithetical to free speech despite what he said. He's very antithetical. Yeah to combative speech that holds power to account. And that will destroy the livelihood of numerous journalists who have built their their incomes on being able to communicate with an audience through a platform they don't own. And not own these platforms. So, you know, when we talk about independent media, a lot of it has in the new media, in the digital media era, built its existence through platforms that they do not own through methods of communicating with its audience that they do not own. If you look at, say, The Big Issue, which is a good example of an independent media organization, or The New Internationalist or Red Pepper, they have their own distribution networks and their own printing networks, their own, you know, methods for production that can produce stuff. You know, now, unless you have your own website, if you use a Substack or Medium, for instance, you don't even own the method of production of your own content let alone the distribution. So you're not even, you know, these are significant issues, which again, we have to, as a sector, start to realize. And when you're out here by yourself, you, you're like, and you suddenly built yourself a following on TikTok, on Twitter, on Instagram or something like that. You're like, I'm going to go, I'm going to stick it to the map. Or I'm going to, or I'm going to do independent journalism around football, around culture, around arts, around music, you know, like whatever it is, whatever's your passion, whatever stories need to be told. And then, you know, and you see this constantly with YouTube creators, you get not specifically deplatformed and banned. You just don't appear in people's feeds any longer. Your own audience can't see you. It destroys the ability for people to tell the truth. And what we recognize is the economics of information distribution is actually the fundamental arena in which the crisis of free speech has to be addressed, has to be discussed. I think when people talk about free speech and when they talk about, you know, 
anti-elitism and stuff like that. They will have different political positions. Usually the people who are talking about it nowadays seem to have very well-paid jobs, very much establishment organizations and guaranteed reaches in the millions. And they are not, in fact, questioning elites or, or you know, actually fighting back. They are often fighting for the elite. Regardless of my personal opinions on that, that arena is actually a distraction. That's a cultural discussion, a social discussion, a political discussion. It's fine. Those, those important discussions, people should have them about what you can and can't say, what you should and shouldn't say. But ultimately, the access to getting information, that is the arena of free speech. We care about a society that is built upon open, free and frank discussion. These are the questions we have to answer. Now, obviously, the big, the big question from that is like, what? What is that solution? I mean, from our point of view, we've got a website somewhere you own, but that's no good if you don't have any traffic, no one coming to read it. Like you, you mentioned distribution there a few times and kind of a few of the brands that kind of have, you know, developed their own distribution. What's, what are we to do? We can't rely upon the distribution channels that we believe may be suppressing content that does not align with their, their views, but are are the popular places where rebels are. What is, is there a, an IMA advisement or, or what is the kind of take? And I suppose that'll vary per organization and per resource and per audience. And Well, we try to offer, obviously, we try to offer bespoke advice. What I can say is to, to our members, and we, we, you know, that's, that's something that I'm there for. As someone who's really studied intensely social media trends since 2005, like since Facebook occurred, I was a club night promoter. You know, no one realized what it, like, no one realized its utility for politics until about 2010, 2011, 2012, you know, like, but I was using it because I was using it as a club night promoter for, for, and again, there wasn't like pages, you know, there wasn't ways of paying Facebook. This was before it went public, but I realized like with the reach of this thing, I can put, if I can get people to club night, then if I wanted to get them to a protest, I could get them to a protest. Do you know what I mean? People weren't aware of those things. So as someone who's studied those trends, yeah, my, like there's some baseline advice. Always have your own website. Always have your own email list that you can manage through that website so you can, can communicate with your audience directly and kind of make all of your marketing efforts focus towards funneling people towards that website and that email list. Then are then other methods that you can use to directly communicate with your audience that are technologically a little bit more difficult and or, you know, potentially prone to change as well, which is Telegram and Signal lists. Telegram specifically is, you know, a good arena. Building subreddits is a great way to get audience engagement on in an arena, which again, independent, this, independent media doesn't usually go that route, but it's actually... It's actually one of the more well-designed social media platforms in terms of sort of protecting the right kinds of content and okay. your stuff. Audience will see it if you've built a community, but it does require taking a lot of time and effort. So largely what we see from social media trends is very much like the rise and fall of all organizations in capitalism, which is that they will reach good ideas will be good ideas for a period of time until they have to be fully capitalized through, you know, share issues and stuff like that. And then they will strive towards watering down their products and attaining a monopoly. So Facebook's a classic example of this. And they will destroy their own products in the process of doing that. So there will be a life cycle of social media platforms. You know, 
TikTok may not have a life cycle because it's just largely state owned or state paid for, and it may just not, it may not fuck around with a secret source. The secret source is do what you do well. Facebook used to do one thing well. Instagram used to do one thing well. Twitter's stuck to doing one thing well, and now it's not going to, and it will probably die, right? Do one thing well. Don't do other things. Like, is if I could give those multi-billionaires who everyone sort of thinks are like superheroes from a Marvel movie where they're like geniuses, then they're not. They're just people with an extraordinary amount of money who usually, studies have been done on this, like by business people. Right idea, right time. They'll usually be in a life cycle of any social. There'll have been 40 other companies who did pretty much the same thing at the wrong time as, as the one that's successful. I'm sorry. Uh, and will have been probably undercapitalized. Anyways, in that arena, if you're independent media, yes, you say social media platforms, they'll probably might have been probably where you built your audience. Start working immediately to get them off. Once you start to realize, like this is this is going to be a living for me. Get them off there, and then you know always explore those new platforms. Like there's a lot of independent YouTube creators who've come together and created a platform called Nebula, right? Yeah. And it's really good. There's a new one that's coming called Quench, and that will be brilliant as well. And I can get into details about that at some other point. Mastodon is the new. Twitter, right? Like, and it's already being populated by independent media in droves and its audiences, right? Be aware of those trends. Don't hide from them. I've been banging on about TikTok for about three years and people still haven't transitioned there. Yet the majority of people who are on that platform are over the age of 30. So like, you're not even like, it's not even a kid's platform any longer. People just don't realize it. I think every time, by the way, there's a new platform that comes around, it's a new way of telling stories and information. So here's something that I want to tell people when they, media producers, content producers, right? Like when they're thinking about new social media platforms, by the way, LinkedIn has become very good, for instance. Sure. Share information and tell stories on. You're just telling stories. Like the whole of human society, the only consistent thing is that we tell stories. It's like how we understand the world. We're not rationalists. We don't wait for evidence to understand the world. We understand it through stories. We like, and, and that's what we've always done. And a lot of that in the early age of the, the internet, which we've just lived through, has been based on written word, right? The written word, there's only been universal literacy for about 100 to 150 years out of 100,000 years of human society right mostly people do not interact with the written word maybe 20 percent of the population in any country are like highly educated enough to engage with written it it was the main method of communication in the 20th century for communicating important news and complex ideas because it was the only way to store information but in a tiktok video i can tell you a story like our ancestors used to around the campfire I can, I can talk to you directly. I can look you in the eyes and I can tell you a story in a minute or less, something important about the world. And now, you know, and you can move on with your day, you know? So don't be a snob about these new technologies, new platforms, you know? And yes, I understand when we're all overworked and busy and our, our audience is already on one platform, it's really difficult to make a transition to another one course but i would what i would then suggest is that people go on to a platform and use it themselves for like 
couple of months and actually really dive into it and see what the joy is themselves, understand it intuitively as a user and then, and, and get there. And again, with say TikTok, the IMA has set up a, its own TikTok account. We haven't posted really anything on there, but what we do have is we have about 50, 60 accounts that we follow that you can follow. Cause if you go onto TikTok now, you're going to get some torrid, torrid grub. It's unpleasant, right? Yeah. Like, and you're like, what is the point of this platform? If you f- go onto our profile and then you follow those 50, 60 creators and you, you watch their profiles, it's everything from football stories, history factoids, language factoids to politics, news, interpersonal stories, uh, dating advice, psychology. Also, you realize, oh, this is a platform where people are getting millions of views talking about like how you can make the world a bit better, right? So, you know, here is the way I've gone off and what there. No, but I think that's all really interesting because I think you get the same problem in TikTok is that you're then building a TikTok audience. It's very hard to transition to somewhere else when, if or when TikTok should, you know, reach the end of its life cycle, either through, you know, legal action based on who owns it or just it is no longer the hot, the hot new thing. And I know like TikTok is in particular is very on the community guidelines of like you can't promote your youtube channel you can't promote anything off of tiktok unless it's in one of our ads but it's but your point still stands it's like if that's where the audience is we should go there and you know attempt to communicate and, and brand build yeah. well it's it's like you know i mean the term marketing comes from markets right like you used to put out shop signs and then so we'll put out a nicer shop sign and you yeah. know to make a nice one you know what, what you're doing is putting out a shop sign in TikTok. It doesn't like you taking people off the platform. It has, a, it has its own, it's basically orcish at this point. Like everyone's having to use other words for particular words that you're not allowed to do. Like, and if, it, and if you're on TikTok, you understand, like when someone says this, I, I, I was, when I was first on there, the comments, I was like, why is someone, what, what is corn? You know, yeah. I don't understand, you know, and they're like, oh, millennials by the way if you go on tiktok as a millennial you will you will get dragged it's just how it's going to be but it's a shop window so it's not that's the other thing i think about the all of these platforms when i'm saying decouple from that it's like all of these platforms are um merely shop windows and they're they're merely like as a shopping mall that appears in your area and you're allowed to or like no better than that like in Leeds, they have council-owned poster bollards. They're big bollards that you can put posters on. Like, And it's like those, they exist there and you can put your posters on them if you make the right thing for a while. But after a while, they'll say you can't any longer. You're not allowed to include that because it's owned by the council. Do you know what I mean? And you're only allowed so much space and blah, blah, blah. You don't put tons of effort into it, but you do let people know you exist. You know, it's, it's worthwhile that level of time and commitment. Also, you can build content strategies around it. For instance, in an organization I'm working with are going to make all of their content solely a short video. So their website will be short videos and they'll communicate with their audience directly through Telegram rather than email. So they're not going to use written word. So all of the stuff will go on TikTok and probably Instagram Reels and YouTube Briefs. But it's not dependent on those platforms keeping them on there or like the, the... the video library will exist and it will encourage everyone to uh, th- their social media profiles will say follow us on TikTok, Telegram so you can get our videos that 
you know, we can directly communicate with you that way. Until there's a good email way to send short videos, you know, maybe they'll build out that list as well. Or it's to be aware of those trends and do, do something that's low effort, but puts you in the shop window. Of course. Too, it's with referencing of like, you know, good or done as enemy of, uh, what is it? Perfect is enemy of done. You know, like when we look at TikTok content or kind of our business, I'm like, that'd be great, but there's a lot of steps for us to get there to make it be good. And that stops us kind of getting way to just get the phone out and talk at it for a minute about something. That's all it needs to be. But we yes. want it to be quote unquote good. So nothing happens. We'd say get over ourselves a little bit. Yes. It is just talk, it is telling stories like it's actually one of the easiest storytelling methods in the world. You get out of your phone, you talk to it for a minute. How many times a week have you sent messages, at least voice notes? If, if like not many people, I send video messages to my mates, which they find disgustingly annoying. But you send voice notes to your mates, catching them up. Oh, look, voice I'm like, my wife gets a lot of voice notes from her friends, and I'm like, your friends are bad people. Like, don't make me listen to this and stop whatever else I was doing to interrupt my day. I want to read a text message and I can come back to it and attack me to check it. But that's my personal hang-up, not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we often have those hang-ups. They become in facets of our industry or sector. Is that we have emotional reactions to the ways that we receive information and therefore we don't want to produce information in that particular way. Like, and I just see it, like, again, also if you've credit you know, if you created your, if you created in a certain way for, for a certain amount of time, you're like, this is what I do. Like, why do I? And I'm not saying transition is always the best way, but if you already create video content for YouTube, work out a way of doing it for TikTok. When people were bloggers and you used RSS feeds, you know, and, and, and RSS collective, when, when Twitter came about, people were like, why would I abbreviate a blog? to 140 characters that's a piss take like yeah. like and it was so annoying it's like no this is the way that you're going to get people to your blog like he did like some sum up your blog in 140 characters and add a link yeah. you know, like and so they create tools like bitly to help you do that and all of this so you know just be aware like that's what i'd say to people that's one of the challenges the industry faces is because people who produce content to a level by which it's their profession have usually reached a certain age sure. and new things are like new they're hard yeah. but they're they're opportunities and we have to retain that useful fascination because if you're a similar age to myself like we grew up there wasn't internet like i didn't have internet till i was 15 16 you know and it was a squeaky dial up like lived in a world where there was books and you called like an operator from a payphone to get a reverse charge call to your parents do you know what i mean like we've yes. we've seen some things it's not going to stop so like let's try and enjoy the ride because there's only because re- it's a caring regardless like and really it, you can be a, in my opinion I'm, I'm a bit of a stoic insofar as like you change what you can and accept what you can't sure if you're not going to change the health scale the tumble of technology then i think we should just try and enjoy it great makes a lot of sense i think then Let's talk about how media performs. I think, if I recall correctly, when we were speaking earlier, you told us that independent media is broadly considered to be quite performing traditional and kind of non-independent media. 
for lack of a better phrase, kind of in terms of growth. Is that, did I pick that up right? Yeah, in terms of establishment media and legacy media, like they're only seeing declining audiences. They're only seeing declining incomes. And most importantly for the arenas that I care about, they're only seeking people. They're not, sure. they don't employ new people. If they're employing new people, it's only younger people who are paid less to do the job of three senior people. Do you like they're, it's So it's a terrible industry. They're now largely the establishment corporate media, as in the privately owned media and the empires of Murdoch, the Barclay Brothers and Viscount Wodermere, which the three of them make up around about 80 to 90% of the national press. They are now essentially state-backed organizations that are purely backed by state funding. In Australia, the same is true. The Australian government did a, a deal with Murdoch and Google, whereby Google essentially pays Murdoch to produce content. Do you know what I mean? Like, really? I can go, like, I'm simplifying it and, you yeah. know, applying it to shock factor, but like it more or less, that's the case. And I can go into the details of that if you're interested. But the reality is, is that with, even with those massive sub subsidies and even with the massive political clout they've got, even with the massive brand recognition that they have, even with the entire legacy that they have, they're just collapsing some at greater rates than others, you know? And the Guardian tried a long time ago, bizarrely, I was part of the focus group that helped them decide this, to switch to at least partially being funded by donors. Sure. Uh, it all the time yeah. on the site frequently. I'm like, you yeah. read 182 articles this year, maybe donate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they, like, they really shot themselves in the foot with some of the political positions they took from the editorial line, which was in, which was dissonant with their own audience. And I think, again, that's something where independent media is a lot more nimble. It's a lot, lot more clear. It serves an audience. The Guardian, ultimately, as a liberal establishment paper, ultimately served some of its benefactors and some of the political positions of, um, let's say, elite vested interests that weren't actually the interests of its readership. And so they kind of destroyed their own funding model there. Yeah. yeah because it's really hard to base a donorship model like i mean it's not that you can't tell your audience things that they don't want to hear if it's the truth but it's that if you're not serving an audience if you're not like if you're consistently not there for them if you consistently oppose what they stand for and what they believe and also don't tell them things about the world that they want to, to hear about that they're interested in then you're not going to be able to build a model around donorship but you, sure. you know yeah is that some does that, do you feel like then there's a maximum kind of size that an independent media organization can be before the overheads of running that organization, organization are so big that they kind of have to make commercial first decisions over pure audience decisions? Because I imagine the overheads of the Guardian are, signif are so significant that they kind of sometimes have to make a decision that conflicts with... Mm. I think actually it wasn't commercial decisions so much as after Snowden, the like, editor of The Guardian was put on the D-Notice Committee, which is it's got another name. It's a sort of Ministry of Defence. You work with MI6 and MI5 and the Secret Service Intelligence Community to deal with like certain things. And you saw sort of editorial positions there, not only around foreign and military intelligence positions that like were less critical, Combative, combative, but also around like particular political figures, you know, that 
meant that they were less supportive of certain ones that were critical of the establishment or more supportive of others that really reneged on maybe the deal that they had with their audience. But yes, scale is a really big discussion. And actually one of our members and the, the organization that suggested we become an association is the Media Reform Coalition. And they, they are undertaking a really big piece of research now talking about a transition to a sort of media commons or media democracy where we have control over the media that we love. But, you know, in their opinion, and I think it's a reasonable position, you need an organization like the BBC. It's essentially like currently the board is appointed by government or internally. What we really need is it to be appointed or elected by license fee payers. We all pay for it. We should decide who runs it, you know, because I mean, for instance, the chairs of the board have in recent history been the CEO of BAE Weapon Systems, the largest weapons company in the world, and Rona Fairhead, who went on to be Brexit secretary, but before she was BBC chair, she uh, had overseen the HSBC finance department during the LIBOR scandal and the Mexican drug cartel scandal. So these are the kinds of caliber of people we're asking to run our public media institution. And we call it public media and not state media in the UK, but it is state media, essentially. Like, yes. you know, and that's why, like, a lot of independent media organizations would shy away from supporting that. But their point is, the Media Reform Coalition's position is that you cannot produce media at scale and, and provide, by the way, universal services. Like the BBC, for all its flaws, hundreds of radio stations in, in local communities provide educational resources for children, cooking resources, a massive news web. It's not just a news operation or even a cult operation. And it is a cultural operation. And in an age where we live in globalization, where if it was a private organization, we can see, for instance, the basic package for Sky, which produces far, far, far less programming, has no radio stations, produces no website, no information, no, no support, none of the services the BBC does. Basic package costs twice the amount of the BBC. And it comes with advertising, right? You need the economies of scale of a universal service, is the Media Reform Coalition's position that we all play in. And then from that pot, a proportion should go to independent media producers. And independent media producers should be really looking at minimum a tripartite of income streams, which is from donors and members from their audiences, essentially, from grant organizations. And that's really something where our association can step up and fight and say, like, we need grant funders who are traditionally giving money directly to frontline services, understandably, not realizing that the conditions that are being created for, say, poverty, environmental degradation or whatever, that they're trying to fight by establishment media, right? So we so they need to maybe tackle some of the causes of this at source, but not just grant organizations, but the government. So big organizations bringing in large amounts of money so the independent media can remain independent. The money comes to something like the Independent Media Association or Impress, a regulator, so that there's a Chinese wall between the funder and those who get the money, right? Of and so that's that's what the second methodology that we're looking for, which is, yeah, so like I say, donorship and funding, and then small-scale cooperation with local businesses and cooperatives, maybe as decided by, like, we're going to try and work with the Ethical Consumer, which is a member organization, on deciding, you know, ethical organizations, you know, can we have criteria with them, with experts in this field, where you can get funding from ethical organizations to advertise with them. 
And also, I would suggest the cooperative movement, the trade union movement, any movement that has significantly organized sections of the populace to protect their rights and, and therefore has a lot of resources to invest in a communication system that actually works for people rather than works for, you know, the elite. Absolutely. I think as an aside, there's stuff around community interest companies who are registering as like a CIC and things like that. And I think the co-op movement is like pretty interesting as far as distributed ownership around, you know, where this is coming from. But that's all like mega well, interest. I, so think co- really, I think it's a really interesting discussion. Actually, one of the, again, we've done a series of talks. One of them was on TikTok. One of them was on like funding. And we, we do these workshops and we have these discussions. We had one. And we've been in discussions with this again with other organizations that we're starting to form coalitions with around this. And there have been people who said you should register as a charity or a kick to be an independent media organization. And almost no independent media organizations are. And there's very good reasons for that. Yeah. I don't know if people are aware of this. In 2014, the, the government at the time signed into something that was dubbed the gag law. Charities and kicks cannot undertake political activities and they are regulated quite tightly by government. It was a way of like, it was a way of, for instance, shelter running campaigns around austerity. They say, no, you can only be a frontline services charity, provide housing. You're not allowed to criticize the government for creating homelessness, right? You, You cannot act in a political fashion. That gag law applies to media organizations. You can't act politically and criticize like th- there are organizations out there that are doing it, but I imagine that they are treading a very fine line and it would be very easy if you became in any way significant or, or, or capable of causing problems that you would be shut down if you're a charity or kicked. That's such a, I had no idea. Not much really interesting. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> really, really, really useful. Don't become a kick. Don't become a charity. You're storing up problems for yourself down the line. You can do this. You can, so a cooperative acts like a limited company, except it's regulated by the FCA, not HMRC. So it's a financial conduct authority. It's quite light touch regulation. You can do what you want and it's co-owned. There's lots of different models around. I can talk about cooperatives all day. The IMA is a cooperative. It's a multi-stakeholder cooperative, right? But what you can do if you're a limited company or co-op is also set up simultaneously a charity. And you can transfer money in and out of them, but from your limited company to your charity to save you paying tax. And you're welcome to do that. And, and it could also mean that if you say do funding drives for particular projects or things like that, you can do it through the charity and get gift aid, get other tax breaks and incentive. There's a lot more specifics there that I can't go into and don't dive into any of that without like discussing it with an accountant and making sure what you do is completely legal. But for instance, all student unions in the country, I was an executive of one. That's how they operate. They, they run bars. They have a private company that runs bar. And at the end of the year, they transfer all the money that they made from the bar into the charity of the student union. And then they transfer it back out the next day. So for 24 sure. hours, their, their company has no money. And then it does again. Like it. Yeah. More, more egregiously, private schools will often have a charity. Donations are made to the private school. Gift aid is claimed. So... Or yeah, hundred thousand pounds someone is giving me and you taxpayers are chipping in another forty grand or so on top of that. Yeah, I love I love paying for privately educated people to rule over me. We live <laughs> so many ways, so many different ways for all of our lives and for all of their lives, from the cradle to the grave for them. If they can do it, why not us? Yes. Well, I think so. Like they could 
you know, like that, that's genuinely my feeling. Like there is a reason some would suggest there's a reason why financial literacy is not taught in school. For instance, like we don't have to buy houses. We don't have to manage money in any significant way, invest it, care about it, utilize it to build wealth for our communities. But you know, you, you will, if you, if you come from a privately educated background, it's not that you need to learn it at school. Your family do have solicitors, have accountants. You will be asked to work on your family business and so forth and so on. You will be able to ask people for advice. We don't, ordinary people don't have those networks. And again, that's why the association exists to create those networks of like, we've got expert accountants, we've got solicitors. Um, we work with the National Union Journalists as a trade. You do, and we work with impress as a regulator, experts to provide you expert support. When you're just someone, usually starts off as an independent media creator, as someone who starts putting stuff out into the world, it becomes popular. They think they can make a living out of it, and then a lot of them will hit a barrier about eighteen months to two years in, maybe a year in, because you can only run at stuff with no money, no support, so long. We're trying to make sure you can exist past that original spring. Absolutely. Thomas, that has been an awful lot. We've been going for quite a while. Sorry. Sorry. I want to respect your time. Let's, let's sum this all up. It's really hard to run any kind of media business, and particularly an independent one. And the IMA is there to support people with you know, expert advice, peer groups, access to kind of the network and the community, and access to yourself to kind of bounce, bounce ideas off. Yes. Lots of training, all of that kind of good stuff. Have I missed anything from the IMA? I think just being able to be connected to other people you might not just experts but you might be like i would like to do an investigation to housing i'd like to make contacts with people who share similar interests how, how do i do that and we can be sure. that for you you know just splitting the journalistic load across as many organizations as possible yeah yeah, yeah awesome. well all types of content creation we've got all cultural you know like it's so it's not just journalism so yeah i think i think the future is bright for independent media. It is growing. We as a sector are growing in important significance in the incomes we can generate, the jobs that we are generating. We're the only growing part of the NUJ, the National Union of Journalists. There is a proper press regulator there in press that's available for organizations. I'd recommend them as well. And we work with them closely. Get in touch with us if you need any support. You've just got an idea that you want to take from an idea to a reality, or at least see if it could be. Like get in touch. We're there for that. How how can people get in touch with with the IMA? Well, you can find our website, IMA.press. That's the key thing. The most important thing. We do have a newsletter which you can sign up for through Substack or on our site, which is called Media That Matters. And you can find us on all the usual social media platforms. IMA. It's a little green logo, green for five. So yeah, you can get in touch with us there and keep doing the great work that you're doing. And I think there's people in your corner and you, and we're here to chat. Great. And what about you, Thomas? If someone wants to follow you directly, is there any way to do that that you would recommend or, or that you would well, not like to even it? No, well, I, I actually withdrew recently from all social media specifically. Like my job is to support others. Like I'm not, no, my, my opinions, my personality, my positions on things, they do not matter. And really the work that everyone else is doing is far more important than my own. So I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like people to feel like by working with me, they were associated in one particular position or another. My job, because we represent a huge diversity of political opinion, of content interest and things that people want to produce and talk about, often opposing each other. And my place in that is 
who support you regardless. If you're doing Correct. right, you're independent. I want you to succeed. And trust me, I, I don't care about your political opinion. I will give you everything I've got. Tell yeah, I think that's, that's worth reiterating. Sandra, like, you're, you lean a certain way. I lean in a certain way. We can get a bit resonant to by kind of building up on things. But this is an organization that exists for everyone, regardless of viewpoint. And they'd be happy to support you. And that the end goal here is a healthy public discourse, not yeah. the promotion of a single point of view. Yeah, I, I, my fundamental, if you want to know any belief that I have that's important to me and that's core and that would be useful to you is my belief is that as a society, we've got problems. We've also got brilliant things and we should celebrate those brilliant things, but we should name those problems. And we cannot, as a society, create the change that we need to see in the world unless we can first and foremost name them, unless we can talk about them. And that was a starting point well over a decade ago for me to like work out how to do that. And I thought, well, should I be a journalist, blah, blah, blah. And it leads you down this quite technocratic path of going, actually, what we need is good regulator, good sector of organizations that are talking about important things unencumbered by the need to fulfill the duty to serve a vested interest. And that, for me, it's the most important thing because then regardless of what you're putting out to the world, if you're regulated and you're telling the truth and you can be held to account, if you are unencumbered by the need to serve another other than your audience, then I'm behind you. This will make the world better. And it's the only way that it's going to. The, the world's going to get better through this. So that's it. Great way to end. Thank you very much for your time, Thomas. Thank um, you. And... Everyone, go check out the IMA if you think you might be a good fit for their services and their help. Feel free to get in touch and we will speak to you soon. Brilliant. I hope so. Yes. Thanks. Cheers. Great. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, please subscribe. Scale is available in all usual podcast places. Even better, uh, if you could leave us a review, that really helps us. If you're interested in finding out more about me or Powered by Coffee, you can find us on social media and again in all the usual places links are in the show notes scale is currently going to kind of come out every two weeks and we will see you then